Hey, Kyle here. Thanks for joining us today on Gen Church Online. We are so glad that you are connecting with us today. My name is Kyle. I'm the lead pastor here at Generations Church. And if you are jumping on and watching us today, I'll, let me give you a previously on to catch you up to speed where we're at. As a church, we've been going through the book of Colossians. And we've been looking in this section of our time together in Colossians chapter 2. That's what we've been looking at. But for the next two weeks, we're going to step out of Colossians and look at the 168 greatest hours, the most important hours in human history. And so what I want to do is I want to read our teaching text for today, pray a prayer together and then dive into looking at God's word and how you are not forgotten, that you are loved, and your story matters. So our teaching text today is Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. Today is Palm Sunday, and we're looking at the triumphal entry of Jesus. And so verse 28 of Luke chapter 19 starts this way. When he had said these things, Jesus went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage of Bethany at the place called Mount, the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said, Go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a young donkey tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the young donkey, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the donkey? The Lord needs it, they said. Then they brought it to Jesus. After throwing their robes on the donkey, they helped Jesus get on it. As he was going along, they were spreading their robes on the road. Now he came near to the path of the Mount of Olives. And the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. They said, the king who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. Let's pray together. God, you are good. You are triumphant. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And in this moment, we need to hear from you. In this moment, in this time in our history, not just on this Sunday that we are broadcasting this. God, we need to hear from you. You are good when there is nothing good in us. Thank you, Lord, for being good. Thank you for sending Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Right off the top, I want you to know that there is good news. Maybe you've seen the John Krasinski Good News channel. That's not what I'm talking about, although it's good. Maybe those of you in the Vancouver area have seen all the tributes to 
the hospitals and the nurses and, and the workers who are working on the, the COVID floors. And that's been incredible, but that's not the good news that I want to talk about this morning. Maybe you've heard about how we as a church are delivering Easter baskets to families who are shut in this Easter holiday. And how we hit capacity in less than 48 hours, which is absolutely incredible. While that's exciting, that's not the good news that I want to talk about with you today. I want to make sure that you hear the good news about the Messiah. So no tomfoolery, no games, no gimmicks, no jokes, no contests to start this week. No special good neighbor challenges, though, hold on, side note. Did you drop off that neighbor letter to your neighbors yet? We, we've put, posted it online. We, we've shared it in groups. Please, let your neighbors know that you love them and you are here for them. So, stepping back into the seriousness of the moment, there is good news. The good news is about a promised rescuer who would both rescue and renew all creation, especially and specifically humanity. Do you know that? God has sent Jesus to rescue you, to renew and bring renewal to your life. That is good news. I don't know about you right now, but as this quarantine goes on, as these stay-at-home messages continue to go out, there are moments when I've just been tired. There are moments where it just feels like this is a really traumatic experience. There, there's moments where there's been tension in my household, as I'm sure there have been moments of tension in yours. But there's good news. There is rest, there is peace for your mind and for your soul. And that good news about a peace comes in the embodied form of Jesus. And so as we talk about good news, there's two vantage points that I want you to consider with me this morning. And so just like if you were to picture going up to a really tall building or you went on a gorgeous hike, so as you get those kind of mental pictures in your mind, you know that there's multiple vantage points. So picture yourself standing at the bottom and looking up, and you can't wait to get to the top. That's a vantage point. There's also that amazing vantage point when you're at the top and you get a look out. And you get to see maybe it's trees, maybe it's the city. And you get this beautiful overlook from a different vantage point. And you even catch glimpses maybe on your way to the top. And it doesn't matter which vantage point you're at. You're seeing some of the same information. What you're seeing and taking in is very, very similar. But yet you get a different vantage point. And so the two vantage points that we must consider today and that we're going to look at over the next two weeks is a story about what God has been doing in the world since the beginning of time and what God is doing in your personal story. Both vantage points come to the climax at 
Jesus. This climax is all about peace. It's a good and glorious peace. Peace is a wholeness or wellness. It's the kind of integrity that puts the soul at rest. And you know the antithesis of this rest, of this peace, when you just feel your inner workings get in knots. When you feel your muscles tense up on your shoulders and you just feel your jaw clench. That's the antithesis of peace. The peace that we want to be talking about through the message of Jesus is the kind that brings a rest where you can unclench your jaw. Where the tension in your shoulders is massaged out. And where what is stressing you out actually becomes the means by which you seek God work in a good and powerful way. And so our teaching text begins with the most important 168 hours in human history. We see that the story begins with a message of peace. And we actually get a hint of that. Because the city that is mentioned right off the top is Jerusalem, where Jesus is heading to the cross to die, to pay the penalty, to bring you freedom from the power of sin, and to one day give us the hope that the presence of sin and death will no more be around. But the city of peace is Jerusalem. Sometimes cities have nicknames. So whether it's Portland as the Rose City or for our friends back in the Midwest, maybe it's Pittsburgh, the Steel City, or Detroit, the Motor City, or Philadelphia on the East Coast, the City of Brotherly Love. Jerusalem literally means foundation of peace. That is where Jesus is heading. He is resolutely set on this. And Luke, the author of this account of Jesus' life, has been building to this point, clear back from Luke chapter 9. So he's taken 10 chapters of verse after verse of building to this point to where we get into the most important 168 hours in human history. And it begins with the triumphal entry of Jesus. And so Jesus' kingship of peace is alluded to in a second way. In verses 29 through 35, Jesus instructs his disciples to enter a nearby village. They will find a never ridden donkey, never ridden colt there. He tells them to untie it, to bring it to him. And there was this prediction that came from one of Israel's prophets. And you can go and read this prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. So give you a little homework, write that verse down. Zechariah 9, 9, I know that's a fun name to say, so maybe you can say it out loud. That the true king of Israel would come to Jerusalem on a young, unused donkey. See, when kings entered into cities during times of war, they came on mighty war horses. When kings came on a donkey or a colt, it meant that they were coming in peace. Picture Jesus' kingship, not with a massive entourage 
of mighty war horses, of chariots, going into a city. So maybe it's after a sports team wins a championship and you see just the, the, these parades of celebration. Jesus doesn't come in an entourage of victory, of, of conquest as in a time of war to say we are going to win. Jesus comes with the message of peace because he knows that he has already won. There is no going back. While the cross and the resurrection have not yet occurred in our story, story in this account, Jesus knows that he is resolutely set on giving up his life for you. On giving up his life for me. And in doing so, it will so alter the shape and the shift of human history. It is the most 100, important 168 hours. And it begins with Jesus entering via a message of peace. And so let me pause here for a second. You may be asking, why would people who had a donkey just let someone take it because the Lord needs it? There may be some healthy skepticism or a question, or maybe that question doesn't arise to you all, but you're like, Kyle, since you brought it up, let me, please, please answer that question. Here we get a glimpse of the overarching story of the world. See, the Jews lived under oppression. They lived under hardship. There was tension. They were tired of living in their own land, but not being able to rule it. They, they, were, they were overwhelmed. They were also longing for a king to come provide rescue. See, the very land in which they lived was ruled by the Romans. The society in which they lived was that pressure cooker. There was tension. And they had tried revolution. They, they had tried war. And there was not peace. And so they wanted the rightful king of Israel to come and bring peace. To come and bring rest to their society. To come and bring rest to their situation. What the Jewish people were looking forward to was a king who would establish a physical kingdom where there would finally be some peace. They wanted someone to fix the world in which they lived. And I don't know about you right now, but my soul, my situation, desperately cries out for someone or something to fix it, to make it better, to do something about it. And because I'm human, just like you, I try to cope in a myriad of ways, whether it's distraction through some type of faux motivation, whether it's a level of self-discipline or routine that just goes to try to keep me going. But the situation we're in in this cultural moment proves time and time again that no matter the level of discipline, no matter the level of distraction, no matter the level of even dysfunction 
that I, that I maybe even enjoy at times. None of those provide a lasting solution to the chaos in our world and in my soul. There is only one person who brings peace. His name is Jesus. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene in ancient Israel, and someone says, the Lord needs this donkey. That was a message that the time of redemption, the time of saving was finally at hand. The king had arrived. And that was good news. And so no matter what society you grow up in, you were told and were described about a structure, a system, a way of life that will bring the good life where you can thrive. And that's a message that's a hope for peace, for a peace of mind, for a peace of soul, maybe peace with family because the environment is run well. So if Zechariah's prophecy and Jesus is riding a donkey were too subtle, notice what the crowds say in verse 38. The king who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. The king who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one. He is the one we have been waiting for. And he's the king. He's got the authority. He's got all the power. And he comes in the name of God to right wrongs, to bring justice, to make things happen. To save us. To bring rescue and renewal. And that's what these people wanted. And that's what they were promised and what they were told. But this explicit message of peace is then confronted and critiqued by the religious elite. Because while they agreed that someone needs to fix the world in which they lived, they wanted it fixed in their own way. Jesus wasn't what they had pictured. And oftentimes, if we take a step and look at our own lives, the way of Jesus isn't the way in which we picture. Sometimes it's opposite. It's upside down. Sometimes we want Jesus to coming in on a big war horse. And make drastic change. And the Jesus we see in this time, in this triumphal entry, he comes on a donkey with a message of peace because he knows that he is going to the cross to give up his life for you. And there will be a resurrection. And actually, one day, he will come back on a war horse in the final judgment. And that is the ultimate restoration where the presence of sin and death are eradicated. But for right now, he comes with a message of peace so that he can bring peace to your home, to your soul, and to your life. And so the vantage point by which you see Jesus makes all the difference. So the vantage point that we have to look at this story from 
or I should say the first vantage point that we will look at it for and from, is in our own souls and in our own two shoes, almost looking up from the bottom up as we look ahead, as we look at Jesus and what God is doing in the world through this account as humanity. You have to make it personal. Because what's fascinating in this account is as you read this story, the very same people who are praising Jesus, who are giddy with anticipation, who are joyfully saying, this is the king, are the very same people who turn their backs and say, crucify him. They're the very same people who say, Jesus, you didn't do what we expected. Get out of here. And Jesus, he doesn't change his mind. He doesn't say, okay, because you've backed away from me, I'm not going to go to the cross now. Because you, you're going to back away from me, I'm not going to ride in on a donkey. And in fact, in this account, Jesus actually sticks up for the very people that will turn their back on him. He says to the Pharisees, to the religious elite, no, these people must praise because if they don't, the rocks will cry out. Jesus stands up for them. See, there's a fundamental thing that we have to understand from our vantage point. There is a God who sends Jesus to us with a message of peace. But we fundamentally don't always embrace that peace. We do things through our own will and through our own way. We set God aside and say, God, do it how I want it to. And that is sin. That is sin, is when we say, God, my way, not your way. And however you do that in your life, however you do that, that is sin. That is willful rebellion against God. And what we are forced to recognize is that Jesus has come to make peace with God for us. Jesus has come to stand in the gap to be Lord of our life, to pay that penalty and to say, no, they are on my team. They are a part of my family because I am going to lay down my life for them. And so Jesus does that. He does that despite rejecting God's rule, despite us rebelling against God, despite our propensity for even when we say yes to Jesus, maybe straying away from him in the future. He comes to bring us back to God so that we might have peace with God. And we must recognize the conflict within our hearts about our relationship with God and come to grips with it. See, this entry into Jerusalem has been termed the triumph of Christ. It was indeed the triumph of humility over pride, of worldly grandeur over poverty, over affluence, and of meekness and gentleness over rage and malice. And we have to come to grips with that in our own heart. And there are moments of malice. There are moments of we want the power, of we want to be large and in charge, 
of we want to have it all for the sake of ourselves. And Jesus takes all the splendor, all the grandeur, and He lays it aside and says, here, you can have it. Will you respond to who I am and what I have come to do? And that's the fourth part in this whole series. As we come to grips with the reality personally about who Jesus is and what He has done and does for us, we are invited to respond in faith that Jesus is who He said He was, that He is the King, that He is the Lord, but He is the good and wise King and that we have to trust and follow His will and His way. And which that means is as you evaluate your life on a daily basis, that you have to surrender the way in which you think about things and invite Jesus to take control over the way he thinks about things and allow him to work in you and through you, to allow him to be your peace. Tim Keller says this, I am more broken and sinful than I ever dared believe. And at the same time, I am more loved and accepted than I dared hope because of Jesus. See, oftentimes we distract ourselves. We play silly little games. We try all of these different mechanisms to cope so that we can have some peace of mind as we're stuck in our homes. And we dare not be alone with our own thoughts because our own thoughts and our own hearts stare as an accuser against us because we know that we don't measure up. There's a level of guilt and shame that we hide. There's a level of fear that that is pent up and built up within inside of us. And as Jesus enters Jerusalem, he is bringing a message of peace where the guilt does not stand as accuser against us. We're the shame where we don't have to hide, where he invites us out into the open and simply says live and love because God has not forgotten you. You are loved. And you don't triumph because of your own effort, because of your own goodness. You triumph because I have triumphed. Because I bring a message of peace. And so we see the good news that God is completely aware of our sin. And in and through the work of Jesus Christ, He accepts us and recreates us through the power of His Holy Spirit. Peace for us begins with praise. We must praise Jesus. We must respond to who he is personally with a message of praise. In the midst of being tired, in the midst of tension, in the midst of trauma, praise doesn't eliminate the tiredness. It doesn't eliminate the trauma. It doesn't eliminate the tension. But it begins to point us to a message and the messenger of peace when we begin to praise. And to say it another way, Worship is our weapon. Give Jesus his worth. Worship is your weapon. 
in the midst of tiredness, in the midst of tension, in the midst of trauma. So turn on that music. Sing to God. Open up your Bible to the Psalms and say those Psalms out loud. The good ones and the bad ones. The ones that say, how long, oh Lord? And we lament and we give it to God. But our response is not one of fear. It is not one that says of give up. But it is one of hope. And our soul cries out to God. So praise is our weapon. It is the beginning of bringing peace in our life. Which moves us to the second vantage point. The overlook about which God has been doing within the world. From creation to new creation, God is addressing the sinful nature and the sinful place of all humanity. He seeks to redeem the fall, to redeem the tiredness, the tension, and the trauma, which means he gives value back so that nothing is wasted. And he does that in Jesus. The whole earth has been longing for the next 168 hours. Jesus says, if I tell you they were to keep quiet, the stones would cry out. Our world groans and longs for a rescuer, for someone to give value and purpose to our lives, to our suffering, to our society. And we see the good news that God has sent His Son to redeem the world from the effects of sin, to restore all people, places, and things to where the way He originally created it. Which means He not only brings us peace with God, but He reconciles us with one another. And that's why at Generation Church, we say we want to see God's family expanded from all people, from all places, no matter your background, where you're from, who you are, what color your skin is, what gender you are, what orientation you are. You are invited to be a part of the family of God. And God has been working for your good to bring restoration and value to your life and to our world. So that the church, as we come together, this family we can be a people of peace who are stilled, restored, and to be sent to be messengers of the one true King. Glory to God and the highest heavens. He is the most weighty thing in our lives. And we don't live that out perfectly at all moments, but we know He is working. And that is why we can get up each and every day and begin to live out a life of peace where our soul is stilled and quieted because there is a Prince of Peace and His name is Jesus. He is the King of Kings. And so the good news is not just about your individual happiness or God's plan for your life. The good news includes God's plan for the world. And this means that we are to live in such a way that we invite others to live the way of Jesus as we live our everyday lives. As his followers, we demonstrate what living with peace is really about. And as we live, we get to share. 
Peace increases when a promise is remembered. See, peace begins with praise. But peace increases when the promise of a crucified and risen Savior is remembered. When we remember that each and every day. When that's on our lips. And I think of a story just from this week about people in need of some peace. We've been doing this Egg My House event. And I had a beautiful message from one of our team members this week where they were out in the store buying tons of boxes of candy, getting more baskets. And in the midst of the checkout line, someone says, hey, what are you doing? And in the midst of that, that this team member said, we are a church of everyday people. We are doing this because of Jesus. We are taking Easter baskets to people who may not come out of their houses. We're, we're abiding by all the standards. We're, we're, we're doing the cleanliness precautions. We're doing the social distancing. But we care about bringing joy because we have a peace. And they may not have used those exact words at the end. I'm preaching a little bit, just a little bit. But what they are able to say is that we are doing it because of Jesus. And that lady, through that good news, pulled out her wallet and paid for that candy. You better tell me that people are climbing and clamoring for some good news. And we just simply have to share that good news, who we are and why we're doing it with those around us. And maybe you're watching this today and you're just sitting there thinking, I mean, I... I don't know about this Jesus thing. I, I, I don't know if I should give my life to I don't know if I should gauge any more. Well, let me just say this. Keep watching. Stay tuned. Amen. Because God wants to use you. Your story matters. He has not forgotten you. And we want you to know that because he has done that same thing. He has told that same story. He has fulfilled that promise in my life. And peace begins with praise. And praise increases when the promise of Jesus is remembered and shared. Jesus is the King. He triumphs. So let me ask this. What if there was a wholeness to your life that you could have that could never be taken away? Would you want it? Would you want it? If you want this, message us. We would love to lead you in such a way that we are learning how to follow Jesus, to experience the peace that surpasses all understanding in our everyday lives. And we need to reminded that peace begins with praise and it points to a fulfilled promise and that's Jesus. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is the beginning of the most important 168 hours in human history because he provides a peace of all creation, that all creation longs for and you personally need, which means you don't have to be in control. It means you don't have to fear others. It means you don't have to make it all about the good life now. And it means you don't have to prove yourself. A great indictment against much of our praise is that it's mindless, that we do not have anything specific in our minds when we praise God 
and specific things that we praise him for, that we have seen him do in our everyday lives. Anyone who says, praise the Lord, should be able to answer the question, praise him for what? And so whichever vantage point you stand out, whether it's personally or individually, personally, individually, or from that thousand foot view, what are you going to praise God for? Specific praise of remembrance of that God brings peace to your life and to the world. Jesus brings peace because he extended the message of peace, because he entered the city of peace to make peace between you and God and to give us a peace with each other that we can live out and bring peace to the world by pointing people to Jesus. We want you to trust and follow Jesus. We want you to remember what he has done for you and what he is doing in the world. And that is good news. There is good news. The triumphal entry ended with Jesus on the cross. And that ended with Jesus being resurrected. And one day he will come back. That's a promise that you can bank on. And a promise that brings peace to your soul. Begin your grasp of peace through praise and watch it increase as you remember who God is, what he has done in your life and what he is doing right now in this cultural moment in our world today. And watch this message go on for generations to come. God, you are good. May we take this message and share it freely with others. Thank you for your love and for your grace and for who you are. It's in Jesus' name that I'm going to pray. In the name of peace, amen.